You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, November 30th. I'm joined by our managing editor, Ed Harrison. Ed, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Jack. Uh, and welcome back from Thanksgiving to you. Yeah, I, I hope you had a, a good one. So on um, in the market today, um, it was had a little bit of a bearish tone to it. Um, the Dow was down almost a point. Um, S&P down uh, a half point just as we're closing now, and the Nasdaq relatively flat. So I'd say that it's uh, a day uh, that's an exit uh, away from the rotation, uh, the rotation into value we've seen. W- would you say that? Yeah, I would. You know, um, I think you and I we were talking about this before. There are a lot of different themes that we can talk about. We're not going to talk about one big theme, but just sort of. Uh, cut through the markets in terms of a lot of different things that are happening, Bitcoin, uh, politics, uh, rotation trade, et cetera. If I had to sum up the month of November, I would say, you know, I, I just saw hitting the wires before we got on that the Dow closed down over 200 points, but it ended November up 12%. I mean, the markets in general were up the most that they've been up in one month since January 1987. So that's 33 years. And I think there are three themes associated with that. Uh, one is that uh, we got a vaccine, or we got three vaccines. In fact, the Moderna vaccine came out today saying they were looking for FDA approval. We also had a relatively uneventful uh, post-election. I mean, there were lawsuits. It's still ongoing. But I think it's not as chaotic as people perhaps thought it could be. And then uh, finally, there's a lot of liquidity hitting the market, you know, uh, that we still, if you think back to a conversation I had with Michael Howe, we're still benefiting to a certain degree from central bank largesse. So those three things might be the three themes that are pushing forward this 12 percent rise in the Dow in the best month for markets since 1987. Ed, it's interesting you uh, talked about your interview with Michael Howell. He has a very bullish view on the liquidity that's coming into the market. I actually interviewed uh, someone who's been on Real Vision before, uh, Teddy Valley, who's got a very different view. His view is actually that uh, the month of uh, October, November, as well as uh, the next two to three months uh, going into February of next year, are actually going to be very liquidity negative uh, in that the uh, uh, amount of money that is being, excuse me, the amount of uh, bills and, and, and bonds that are being issued by the Treasury, which, you know, they're issuing bonds and they're taking in money, that's actually going to exceed um, the amount of uh, Treasuries that the Fed is buying um, per month. So uh, I want to sort of have this discussion with you um, about, uh, you know, Michael Howell sort of uh, as compared to Teddy Valley's view. Um, what, what are you seeing in that? Yeah, you know, it's it's almost somewhat you could say a monetarist sort of view. Uh, the uh, Michael Howell he's saying that irrespective of the fundamentals, when you pump that much liquidity into the markets, uh, when you look at asset prices writ large, that means not just stocks and bonds, but also we're talking about 
uh, houses and other sorts of assets that he's looking at, that it causes a rebidding up, a bidding up of those assets because that money goes somewhere and it gets parked in those assets. Um, uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting theory in the sense that you know, you suddenly have all this money that that needs to be deployed, and it's not all going to sit in cash. It's going to uh, go to assets. That's not really how I, I look at the markets myself. I'm still toying with the idea as a a potential way to look at markets, but I generally look at markets in terms of the real economy and. Uh, over a longer period of time, having an impact on earnings, and those earnings, therefore, are having an impact on uh, earnings per share and, and, and prices. And so I believe that markets go up when earnings go up and when multiples expand, but when the economy contracts and you have a recession, then you get a double whammy of multiple contraction and earnings contraction. And that's really when you have to watch out for uh, outcomes. And that's what we saw in March. Uh, and potentially, we could see that again in the next uh, next couple of months. Absolutely. Um, Ed, it's interesting that uh, you are a fundamentals guy focused on the earnings and that the market will react to that. You know, I uh, was born and raised a uh, fundamentals uh, person, but... Um, I've become a little bit of a flows guy. Uh, that's what uh, you know. Working at Real Vision uh, for a year will, will do to you. You know, listening to the likes of Mike Green. So um, I actually was. So Teddy Valley, he said it was uh, net. Uh, the liquidity is going to be uh, net negative, and he had this um, fantastic uh, chart that uh, we can put up of just how um, the QE issue uh, minus the Treasury issuance. Uh, is very correlated to the dollars, uh, to the DXY year over year. So, but I wanted to sort of dig into that. So over the weekend, I was just like, which statistics is Teddy using? So I think I finally found them, um, and it's the amount, the net cash raised um, by the Treasury per month. So in the month of October, the Treasury issued uh, 1.5 uh, trillion of bonds, bills, uh, notes, everything, and they retired um, in terms of the you know, the, the notes uh, were taken out of supply, um, just about 1.5. So it's $62 billion of uh, liquidity that was sucked out of the market. Um, now, for I think for October, I think the Fed put more money in. But I think what Teddy is saying is that what's, we're at a point where going forward, um, the, the dynamic is going to reverse, where the Fed is actually going to inject money, but the Treasury is going to suck up all of that liquidity and then some um, from the market. So I was just, I think it was released today, the Fed um, released their schedule of how much Treasury bills, they're going to buy bills, bonds, notes, everything, whole nine yards um, for uh, up until December 11th. And it's like $2 billion here, $4 billion there. So the, the experts are estimating it's going to be about uh, $80 billion. So if the, if the Treasury um, uh, you know, raises a net cash amount of greater than $80 billion, then um, Teddy could be right. And then we could see um, you know, liquidity coming out of the market. Now, I agree with you. It's not the entire story. Um, there's also the earnings story. We are seeing some good news um, on there. Um, but, but yeah, uh, what do you make of that? Well, yeah, I think it's all about the time frames because obviously uh, if you're talking about a shorter term time frame, maybe that uh, that has some applicability and that's the time frame that he's talking about. The, what I think of what he said that is interesting is the dollar implications because you know you and I we were talking about the dollar and uh, the fact that I tweeted out earlier this morning that the dollar index hit a 52 week low, euro index hit a 52 week high. 
I thought that was interesting because of what Teddy has to say does have implications for uh, for currencies. What uh, what was he making of the dollar? Where is that going to go under his scenario? Um, so he thinks that the uh, he's long term bearish. Bearish. It's maybe a little bit of a dramatic word, but he does not have a good uh, view of the risk reward of the dollar in the long term. For the next two to three months, he uh, sees a tactical opportunity to go long the dollar because of this uh, negative liquidity dynamic uh, that markets are going to have. Um, because there's going to be less money in the system, um, that's going to increase the value of the dollar. So it's going to be a pretty much a reversal of what we've seen over the past uh, eight months, where the Fed has flooded liquidity into the market and that has pushed um, the dollar down. Uh, now, maybe I'm, I'm attributing uh, too much cause to that. Um, so Teddy is long-term uh, bearish on the dollar, but he sees opportunity to be long the dollar two to three months. Conversely, um, he thinks that rates, are, real rates are going to increase. And this is someone, something I want to pick your brains on. And so because real rates are going to increase, um, he thinks that that makes Bitcoin and gold less attractive to hold. And when I say less attractive, I do mean less attractive because he is a long-term bull on gold and Bitcoin. And you know, like many who have been on Real Vision, including Rao, uh, Teddy has been right uh, on gold and Bitcoin, particularly um, Bitcoin. Um, but he actually uh, says that he's pumping the brakes a little bit. And you know, the interview I filmed with him uh, was filmed last week before the giant sell-off, and it's going to air um, um, tomorrow. So we, we've had a little bit of a, a topsy-turvy trade there. Um, did, did you see anything in the, uh, the market for uh, Bitcoin um, and, and gold? Uh, what are you seeing there? Well, yeah, I, I saw that gold uh, and silver had been selling off a bit. And, you know, before the weekend happened, uh, Bitcoin had been selling off. And uh, now uh, Bitcoin has come rallied back. But, you know, I'm looking at gold now at 17, 78, 80, silver at 22.69. So, you know, those are not levels, the, you know, uh, the, those are potential entry levels if you're if you're a long term bull versus uh, uh, it's similar to the dollar. So the question is, is uh, in terms of reversals, obviously, if the dollar goes higher on the back of uh, real rates going higher, then that's long term negative for gold and silver, because at the end of the day, you know, uh, you get a real return that's higher and you get no real return from holding gold. And so from a opportunity cost perspective, you're foregoing more opportunity by holding precious metals. And that's generally speaking considered to be negative for the precious metals. So if he's, if he's right, then uh, that, that thesis makes sense. The problem I have with that thesis is on the one hand, he's talking about the liquidity situation being tighter but on the other hand, he's talking about real rates rising, which would suggest that the economy is actually doing well, that we're getting out of a, a negative environment. And that means that the longer end of the curve is going to steepen. And that's where the, the, the real rates going higher comes from. Uh, so those two, for me, are they're at odds with one another. And I'd love to find out how he resolves that that problem. I think that he is um, a believer uh, in maybe not in the reopening, but in reopening stocks um, because rates are real rates are going to increase, um, and that is going to cause a uh, economy of growth where things are growing. 
again, that actually makes growth stocks less attractive because when growth is essentially zero, you'll pay a ton for Zoom growing at a, at a high price. But if, if uh, the cruise liners are reopening and the economy as a whole is, regrow is, is growing, you're not going to be willing um, to pay that. So, Ed, I'm someone who's, uh, I'm not necessarily new to this, but it's these ideas, you know, have, are sort of like forming in my mind about the correlation between real rates and growth. And this is something when I was interviewing Teddy, it was going through my mind. And, you know, you've been in the trenches of uh, economics and finance for a long time. Can you explain to me and the viewers why, uh, when real rates rise, uh, that indicates that growth is on, is on the up and up? Yeah, so if uh, if real rates are rising, then that's because you know uh, rates themselves are rising faster than the rate of inflation. So inflation might go up or inflation expectations, but rates are going up more. And the reason that rates would go up more in real terms is because uh, people are front-running the Fed's operations. They believe that the Fed is going to be jacking up rates in the future, and so they're sending up those rates in anticipation of that rise. And the only reason that the Fed is going to be increasing rates is because the economy is doing better. So uh, a, a flattening of the yield curve is uh, usually a sign that uh, you know rates are going to go down over time. A steepening of the yield curve says that rates are going to go up over time. If it's a real rate rise, meaning that rates are going up faster than the rate of inflation, it's because it can only be, generally speaking, because things are happening that are good for the economy that's causing the Fed to uh, to uh, step on the brakes, that is, the the uh, interest rate lever. And uh, and that's, generally speaking, because, because the economy is doing well. Absolutely. OK, that, that does make sense. Um, so uh, nuts and bolts. Uh, the interview with Teddy Valley comes out tomorrow. Please check it out uh, if you get a chance. Um, Ed, is there anything? Uh, Ed, what else is on your radar? Yeah, I mean, there's a ton. Let's start to tick off some of the boxes here. So we started out talking about three narratives. We said uh, liquidity. We said the election, and we also said uh, the reopening, i.e., vaccines. Um, the Counter-narrative in terms of the vaccines is a short-term economic pain associated with a rising COVID count. You know, we've talked about this a number of times, Ash and I in particular, and on our Friday uh, forecast while you were uh, recovering from your turkey uh, fest on Thursday, we were talking about uh, the numbers being low. We said that we were basically going through an extended weekend. And if you know the numbers for the case counts and the death counts, they go up uh, and they stay high during the weekdays, but then they uh, fall before they come back up during the weekdays again. So during the weekends, that's when they fall. And that's because things aren't reported, people aren't going to be tested, et cetera. And this is exactly what we've seen, in fact, the number of deaths from COVID in the past uh, day were, was 818. The 14-day change is only 26% there. Case counts, 136,000, 14-day uh, change, only 8%. So those numbers are moderating. So that would make you think that uh, things are on the up and up. But the reality is that we're going to see a, an acceleration there. Not only are we going to see an acceleration because those numbers are artificially low given the long weekend, but we're going to see an even greater acceleration going forward when 
all of the people who contracted the virus due to the movement that we saw during the Thanksgiving holiday, uh, when that when those numbers start to come out, uh, which will be within the next three weeks or so. The number that I'm looking at, actually, Jack, is the hospitalization rate, because interestingly, that that never lies because people are hospitalized at whatever rate they are. And that number is consistently going higher, uh, at least at the same rate of increase, but slightly higher than it was before. Thirty six percent, 14 day change, ninety three thousand two hundred sixty five people hospitalized in the United States. And recently we've seen a lot of stories that have come out that have suggested that we're almost to the point in many areas where there's a hospital overload. That is to the point where the system uh, can't take any more uh, patients, that elective surgeries are, have to, elective procedures have to be put off, et cetera. So we're almost to that point. Uh, I believe we'll get to that point perhaps uh, in early to mid-December. And what that means is, is that we're going to have more uh, rollbacks, more shutdowns, and uh, growth rolling over more than we have before. And so I think that that is what's causing people to take a bit of fright against uh, the the reopening, that is the, the vaccine trade. They think that before we get to the vaccine trade, there's still going to be some pain to be had. And I think that makes sense in uh, pandemic uh, sensitive stocks. That's your leisure, that's your hospitality stocks, and things of that nature. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Uh, that's Interesting. Um, obviously, I, I, it's very sad, a real tragedy that um, you know hospitalizations continue to increase, and it looks um, uh, not good at all uh, in terms of what, what's around the corner. Uh, I want to ask you about how this is going to impact markets, because I know in your previous uh, times that you've ex expressed um, your view on this, it's been all about um, lockdowns and how you know increased cases are going to um, depress economic behavior because they're going to cause governments to enact lockdowns or actually and now I'm just remembering that uh, people are going to sort of uh, uh, by themselves uh, be very cautious about how they act so they're not going to book that flight they're not going to book that um, hotel um, what's your outlook uh, on that going forward based on everything that you just said? Yeah, so I think that uh, the, I think that all of that's true. That is, is that uh, people, they automatically make adjustments to their behavior based upon the level of danger uh, that's associated with the pandemic and that will slightly retard growth. Uh, then at the same time, uh, governments, they react to that and they increase their measures and that retards growth even more. The most pernicious part of it is, is when uh, you get an overload of the system because you know that's just uh, the rolling over of growth. That's just a retarding of growth. The real problem is, is when the system becomes so overloaded that you need to have shutdowns, lockdowns, uh, not just uh, slight rollbacks, but you know hardcore measures. And here's a, a quote 
uh, from someone who uh, runs in a hospital system. He said, uh, once you go over the case cliff, this is the number of patients that you're dealing with who are hospitalized, where you have so many cases that you overwhelm the system, basically at that point when you fall off the case cliff, you're going to see mortality rates go up substantially. I shudder to imagine uh, what things might be like in two weeks. So this is what uh, a uh, uh, Michael Osterholm, who's a director of Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota, told uh, the New York Times. Um, what he's saying basically is 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 that it's it's not just that you know mortality stays constant. When you go over the cliff, it it, it shifts up. Uh, so if you have say a 1.9 percent mortality rate, it could go up to to two and a half percent, three percent suddenly overnight because you know you, the whole system breaks down, and as a result of that, you you get a massive increase, and that's the the point at which you get these uh, these lockdowns, these shutdowns. Uh, and you also get the increase of consumer behavior negatively. And I think that what he's saying from there is that we are going to get to that point by mid-December. So he said this just recently. So two weeks from now, those numbers are going to be very high. And just to give you a sense just from the uh, the number of people who have died, the week before we went into Thanksgiving, we had 2,200 2,300 deaths in a single day on uh, three different occasions. The highest that we've ever had in the United States was on April the 15th. That was 2,752. So we're already within striking distance of that number. And that's not including, you know, an acceleration uh, coming from Thanksgiving or the overload that he's talking about. So I, I think that you could see that the risks there are, are very high. And this is coming from someone who's dealing with infectious diseases. So I think that the risks are not just about rolling over of the economy, but actually, uh, you know, a substantial rolling over to the point where a double dip recession is uh, is very much a, a distinct possibility. Mm, interesting. Um, Ed, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Ed, so interesting you say that. But what about the vaccine? What about the vaccines, plural? Yeah, I mean, when you think about this from a, a stock perspective, it's really a, a waiting game. That is, is that, you know, you have the companies that uh, are not going to be affected too much by uh, this delay. And the vaccines are already going to be starting to be administered this month to those who need it, the frontline workers, uh, older people, and then everyone over the due course. And so the economy is going to reopen in a much more broad way at some point in the middle of 2021, especially during the non-cold period of the year. So that's all bullish. Those companies, that's where you're seeing the rotation trade. But then you have two sets of companies to worry about. One is the stay-at-home stocks. Uh, those are the Zooms that you were talking about. And the other are the, the ones that were really affected in March and potentially could be affected again and that have very poor balance sheets. Uh, we're talking about companies that potentially could go, have gone into bankruptcy. A perfect example of a company that went into bankruptcy already is Hertz. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a company like that could end up being liquidated as opposed to uh, exiting bankruptcy in, in a neat way. 
or a company that has a, a difficult balance sheet that didn't go into bankruptcy already could go into bankruptcy. And at the same time, on the other hand, you have the Zooms of the world where you have the rotation trade uh, saying, okay, we don't need Zoom as much, so we're going to sell that off a little bit. There might be a rotation back into the likes of Zoom uh, to a certain degree, as long as there's some degree of uncertainty associated with how deep this retrenchment could be. But remember, this is a totally different scenario than what we saw in March. Uh, the scenario that we're talking about is a, a, a defined period of time. We don't know how long that period of time is, but we know that it's defined because on the backside of that, there's a vaccine. Whereas in March, we had no idea that there would be a vaccine. We had no idea how long the pandemic would last, how difficult it would be, et cetera. So that was a completely different uh, scenario. And that's why stocks sold off as aggressively as they did. Now we're talking about a much more limited situation, limited number of companies that are gonna be on the hit list and also a limited downside as a result of that. Mm. Okay, so what does this mean uh, for specific companies? I think you laid out the view of the you know, rotation into value that we've had um, over the past uh, month. The Russell 1000s had the best month ever. The Russell 2000s had the best uh, month since 1979. Um, you know, all the stocks that have been surged up throughout um, this crisis have faltered throughout November as the energy stocks are up, you know, 30%, um, 40%. But I, I think actually the, the index for energy is up is up 30% um, in the U.S., which really uh, is remarkable. So we have these two forces, as you say. Which do you think, how do you think that these sort of forces will interplay and how will that impact markets going forward? I feel like before you've been very objective, but you know, what, what is your view? Yeah, I think the momentum for that, that rotation has slowed somewhat. And so therefore, if you believe that rotation still presents a good opportunity, it might be uh, the ability therefore to get into that, that trade at a, at, a, at a better level. Uh, there are a lot of people who think that this is the beginning of a, a, a longer-term revaluation of, of value over growth. And also, uh, we're talking about cyclicality over non-cyclicality. You think about the bank stocks as an example. Uh, they're a perfect example of a cyclical uh, trade that now represents a time to get into those, those places. But obviously, if there's going to be a hiccup in the economy and stocks are going to sell off, especially the ones that are more vulnerable to the cyclicality of the economy, then that, that presents a better opportunity to get in. So I think that this is a very time-limited uh, uh, period, so there might be more opportunity to get in, but there's also more downside risk to the degree that you're wading into the deep end of the pool in the more speculative names that are out there. Interesting. So it sounds like you think that there are a wide variety of outcomes um, that the uh, opportunity set and the sort of possible uh, futures that are are very uh, spread apart from each other. So it kind of sounds like you think there's going to be a lot more volatility, realized volatility uh, down the road. Would that, would that be right? Yeah. You know, let me give you an example. Uh, it's not necessarily related to ex what we're talking about, but it's sort of how these things can tip over. Uh, we recently did a series on white collar criminality uh, on the uh, the plus tier. And, you know, it was about how the SEC handles uh, whistleblowers, 
um, and you know how white collar criminals get away with certain things. Uh, there, you know, I think that we know that uh, in the case of Nicola, there are people out there who have said that they they're engaged in activities that are fraudulent, if you will. Um, I don't know if you can call them that. If is that really a white collar type of activity? Uh, perhaps, but we do know that they've admitted that uh, you know that the electric vehicle company said its demo truck was actually just rolling down the hill. It wasn't actually powered by an electric vehicle, uh, electric uh, engine. So that's certainly something that's happened. And just today, as a result of all the things that have come out there. GM has decided to pull back. They said they're not going to invest as much in, mm -hmm. in the company. I think those are the kinds of things that in a, uh, a market that is not as robust in terms of the underlying fundamentals of the economy, people start to uh, second guess. They start looking at companies in terms of, you know, are they doing what they said they're going to do? Are they... Um, actually as good as they said they, they were. And so I think Nikola, which was down something like 26% today, they're, they're getting hit as a result of that. I yeah. think, you know, it, by the way, it may be me overreaching on that because you and I, we were talking about DoorDash on the other side of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's always a flip side uh, to, uh, on the coin. DoorDash is coming out with an IPO. Uh, I think that they are valuing the company at something like $30 billion dollars. Uh, uh, so that's a rich valuation for DoorDash. So uh, I think that we're still in a period where it's it's still not clear, you know, who's going to win out. We're still in that period where it's in flux. How deep this particular uh, re-rotation back into the stay-at-home stocks is going to be. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Absolutely. Um, I think the DoorDash IPO, that valuation you men mentioned, it um, sounds quite rich and it, it may be justified. It may not be. I haven't gone through the numbers, but I will say this. When you order food on DoorDash, uh, a guy comes on your door, he knocks on the door, and he gives you food. It's not demo food, like the Nikola demo truck. It's, it's, he gives you real food. Um, and, and it's also a stay-at-home stock. So you know, at the same time, the, despite the rich valuation, it, it represents a certain trend. I mean, my, my takeaway, Jack, from all of this is, is, is that there are a lot of cross currents that are happening now. Uh, and it's just really, it's not clear which ones are going to win out and who, which companies are best positioned uh, to, to gain from this particular move. We've seen a massive rotation in, and a massive up move in the market in November. I don't think that it's necessarily going to play out the same way in December. It's going to be a, a different market. Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, think there's a lot of truth in the macro point you were saying earlier, which is that in a market that is just being flooded with liquidity, that is uh, just every 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 asset is swept up and uh, there there isn't a lot of discernment. Investors are not sort of looking under the hood, um, whereas when you have um, a period, uh, perhaps like we're having now, I don't know, 
um, where um, you know things are a lot less certain. Um, people are paying a lot more attention and uh, are paying, paying, yeah, paying, paying a lot more attention. Um, the GM deal is is funny, and um, the the you know all, all electric vehicles stocks have been swept up not over not just over the past few years, not just since COVID. All that is true, but particularly uh, even last week, you're getting a flood of uh, capital going into you know not just Tesla, but the Chinese automaker Neo, um, Workhorse as well. Um, I know our producer Brian Caputo is a particular fan of uh, that that stock and perhaps uh, its 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 options as well. Um, but so that that electric vehicle story is something that's very interesting. Obviously, the growth is there. Is it worth um, you know what people are paying for it? What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know. Actually, I, uh, interesting you would say that because I don't know if you know this. I did an interview with the Howard Klein uh, of RK Equity today uh, at two o'clock. Mm. Uh, that's going to come out on Thursday. That's a uh, a lithium story. Uh, he calls himself the lithium lithium ion bull, uh, and he's really looking upstream towards uh, the 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 mineral that's used in the batteries that are used in the cars, as opposed to the actual car company Tesla. Even though he says, you know, obviously you could have gotten a ten bagger out of Tesla, but he's still sticking with uh, his story. And uh, he's seen some upside there. So I think that there is some upside uh, with the uh, the EV uh, uh, EV market just from a purely secular perspective. It's not just in China, but it's also now increasingly in Europe and soon to be the United States as the laggard of those three different areas. Uh, so, yeah, EV is, is a big thing. And interestingly, on the other on the flip side of that, I was looking at The Wall Street Journal uh, one of their uh, marquee articles today was troubles in the oil patch, low prices to lost jobs, uh, which is emblematic of sort of this rotation uh, uh, unwinding a little bit today because energy shares were the ones that were getting uh, hit the most. You had this, uh, this article in the Wall Street Journal as the headline, but energy shares were up, as you said, in November a lot on the reopening trade. So again, th there's there are a lot of cross currents here uh, on the last day of November as we head into year end, where you know you're going to get some um, tax loss selling. People mm -hmm. who want to uh, lock in some of their losses and be able to offset their gains based upon that. So there are a lot of things that are going to be happening in this last month uh, of the year. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, what you said on the oil sector, I think uh, Teddy Valley said that um, 2021 has perhaps the best supply-demand dynamics um, for oil that he's seen going back uh, essentially to, to the uh, beginning of, of, equities, of uh, oil equities being, being public um, because no uh, energy companies are spending on CapEx. They're restricting the cash. They're letting people uh, go. Um, in order to avoid bankruptcy. As a result, they're not spending on CapEx. So that uh, could be very bullish um, for oil in 2021. Uh, one last thing, Ed, before you go. Um, you mentioned your interview. I'm, I'm sorry, what was his name again? Uh, Howard Klein. Howard Klein. Very interesting. The, the lithium bull. I think that is a really interesting trade. You know, I think uh, electric vehicles are future, um, but electric vehicle stocks, in terms of investing, have just soared to the moon um, and, and then some. So I think it's kind of an interesting trade. You know the saying, um, 
you know, it, when there's a gold rush, don't invest in a gold mine. You know, invest in the company that's selling the miners shovels on their way down. I think it's a very interesting uh, trade because you know, lithium is a very important um, input uh, to electric vehicles. And if I can plug an interview of, of my own that I'm doing on Wednesday um, with uh, James Latinsky, um, who's the CEO of MP Materials, which is the only uh, rare earths mine um, in the U.S. You know, 95% of all rare earths are um, you know mined and processed in China. Um, so he really has a, a monopoly within the U.S. And that company was actually made public uh, via uh, a, a SPAC, uh, um, via none other than uh, Chamath Palihapitiya, um, who, as you know, was interviewed on Real Vision. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, that that's an interesting trade, investing in the shovels rather than the gold mine. And uh, when's that coming out, by the way? Um, so I film it next Wednesday. I think it should uh, air sometime in the following week. Excellent. You know why? Because Howard talks about that uh, company in particular, and he talks about uh, SPACs in general. He, that's a space he says he's been in, I think, since 2004. So he's some very pointed uh, commentary. I'll wait for, uh, for it to come out so that you can take a look at it and see what he has to say. But very interesting, uh, this whole, how all of these things are coming together, because SPACs obviously aren't just for uh, you know, technology companies, therefore, some of these companies that are doing the nuts and bolts, the nitty gritty, uh, like MP Investments. I think that's that's a great. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, what he has to say. Absolutely, and I'm looking forward to uh, your interview with Howard Klein. Um, Ed, thank you so much uh, for joining me. Any any last words for the Real Vision audience? Yeah, I, I think my uh, the last thing I would say on uh, on the positive note is that. Uh, when I was going through sort of the themes of the day, I was looking at uh, Wall Street Journal had something on the Labor Department publishing flawed estimates of uh, weekly jobless claims. Uh, this is what a watchdog, the General Accountability Office, said. And the interesting bit, I mean, just from a bullish perspective, is that what they said is that uh, in the end, the majority of states have been paying a pandemic unemployment assistant claimants the minimum allowable benefit instead of the amount that they're eligible due to their prior earnings. And that statement alone, that's what the GAO said, to me suggests that there might be some, uh, even without new legislation, ability for people to get more money uh, uh, from the pandemic uh, unemployment assistance that they're owed uh, by states maybe via the government, maybe via states, but it suggests that it's not all doom and gloom per se, that even though we've had a hit to incomes as a result of people falling off of uh, those benefits and, and more people becoming unemployed, there might still be something positive in the, in the pipeline. So a, a minor uh, positive note in, in, in terms of a gloomy day. Yes. Uh, thank you, Ed, for that silver lining. Um, and uh, talk to you soon. You bet. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads.
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.